0: Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Hello, welcome again to another episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi. I hope you have been enjoying the series so far. I am so excited today. I'm speaking to my varsity buddy, whom I'm still wondering if he's still wise, but hey, <laughs> we'll explore this together. Uh, his name is Musa E. Zulu, and I have to ask him the E part. Uh, he's creative director of Valhalla. Hi, Musa.
1: Hey, Tutu, how are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you so much for giving time during this very, um, tragic time in the world's history of COVID-19.
1: I should be saying thank you very much to you. I'm on lockdown here, and to be with someone at a distance and talking to them at close range means I'm still in many ways very free.
0: And that you are remembered, hey? The fact that I even remembered you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Under, under, Under the title of Wisdom Personified, I mean, how many many days do you have a person coming to knock on your door and saying, I want to interview you for wisdom personified?
0: And we're still debating the wise part, but let's continue.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: But on a serious note, you know, how has COVID-19 impacted you? And, you know, what have you learned about yourself?
1: You know, Dudu, I've discovered that in life, the negative can always turn into a positive. I must be very honest with you. When this lockdown was announced, I was shattered. As a motivational speaker, I sit to speak to crowds. And if anybody says crowds cannot gather, it means I have absolutely no no employment to go out to. But I'm discovering that as days are progressing, I'm opening my eyes to the fact that you can communicate with people, of course, without a personal touch, as in the physical touch but still maintain that personal touch of a message that people respond to so this is what these things teach us that when uh, when a certain door closes another one opens i guess i'm saying that because you will know as a person who was paralyzed and left in a car accident but i've maintained my life up until today part of what came out of the experience was that when you are told to sit down or when you are told that the situation has made you sit down. You can literally use that platform to fly.
0: You can imagine when you're talking about your accident, you remember my last image of you is when we're up on the library, you know, the, at university, and you are showing me the finger. But anyway, <laughs> uh, that image I will treasure as you're standing there, like showing me the finger. Uh, that's what our friendship is all about, isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah.
0: You know, before we met, because we met at Varsity, as, as a child, what were your pastimes? What what did you do for fun? How did you keep yourself occupied?
1: I was always an artist. My mother, when I spoke to her as part of a gathering research for my latest book, said, even as a child, I used to pick up a pen and draw on cardboards. If not cardboards, you were drawing on your pens. I'm sure when I did, you get to meet me in the late 80s when I was already drawing on my pants but my mother reminded me that before the, even the pants it was uh, what do you call it, it was walls, it was cardboards and all of that I guess I always wanted to explore the meaning of life from my own visuals the meaning of life from my own language and the meaning of life from my own perspectives so my pastimes were always uh, always saw me doodling drawing something, scribbling something, or writing something. It's amazing that I never really thought as a child I was creative. I thought it was just a pastime, as you say. But as I grew and got to appreciate the fact that this can even be a future career, I'm discovering that even as a child, I was already sharpening myself towards a career path and not just passions for the sake of keeping time or or allowing time to pass by.
0: Which is interesting because obviously uh, you selected a first degree at varsity and art, like drawing, creative uh, drawing was not one of them. So when you selected your first degree, what vision did you have for your life? I mean, how did you think your life will unfold and has it come to pass the way you thought it would?
1: We are influenced by certain people in our lives and are lucky if our parents are the first point of reference. My parents are academic uh, by qualification and by inclination. So it was a given that I was going to go to university. But to do what? And again, it goes back to your influences and inspirations. My father was a professor at university and even a lecturer. And he pursued the social sciences to place himself where he was. Growing up, I also loved standing in front of an audience to speak. And I always looked at my father whenever he was lecturing and think to myself, wow, I hope that one day I could qualify myself to stand in front of people and teach them from this angle. And then there were also other things that happened before I even went to university that wanted me or that made me want to pursue the social sciences. I was growing up in a change in South Africa. And I was always a child that wanted to balance my understanding of myself with a very firm understanding of the society where I was living. So South Africa was was not just a powder keg, as you would love to call it in the late 80s, but it was also fertile ground for a person that wanted to understand social change, the dynamics of social relations, uh, all the way to people in industry and how that influences the social economics of society. So I went to university to study all of that. Number one, uh, inspired by my father, who was an academic and standing in front of an audience. And number two, by a society that was changing, which was uh, in many ways challenging me to find my stand.
0: You did do psychology. You did sociology. Yeah, I did
1: psychology, but sociology, psychology uh English. Uh,
0: yeah, that's where we English. met in the English.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> where you used to stare at me across the room, I remember.
1: Uh-huh. I guess university was beautiful because you were also coming to contact with people that were bringing in another dimension. You know, Dudu, it's very easy to count yourself as one of those that went to university those days, but becomes very important to then say, who was I in the mix? I remember to do this number, we used to say, Wow, look at this young one that speaks such beautiful English. And of course, when I get been educated in, uh, in, in in a different set of schools from our own, to meet a person that is coming from that angle, when you are coming from another one, enriches the experience because you come to understand when you were already subjected to Race relations, as in being with white people in the same institution, way before we were, and to talk to a person or to 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 then befriend a person from that uh, from, from, from from that life, if I may call it like that, or from that background, yeah, and discover that this person has number one maintained her sense of roots, and number two allowed this uh, this setting where you were, to enrich them such that they can come back to us that had not yet experienced that side of the equation and make us balanced. It was amazing. Thank I you. remember that. I, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very honest when I say this to you. I guess part of wisdom uh, also comes out of learning from others and appreciating exactly how those people enriched your own wisdom. Yeah. I remember you would see this, Dodo and these professors were asking us these many questions, about poems and about this and about that. And you you would literally go in first, we would follow. And if we could find our balance, in many ways we had learned from you. And in many ways you had assisted us with going in.
0: Thank you very much. Which actually, because you brought me into the different type of music, you know, air supply, Michael the mechanics, heavy metal. I mean it was my first experience because at school that was normal for me. Uh, having gone to a private school and I was the minority being an African person, to then meet a boy from Umlazi Township who was into heavy metal and you really and used to wear those denim jackets with the logos. I mean, you actually stood out. What drew you to heavy metal?
1: What drew me to heavy metal was the energy. I'm a very energetic person, Dodo. It might not show now because the years seem to have eclipsed the energy. But I'm a very energetic person, and I find inspiration in chaos, especially organized chaos. And heavy metal is exactly that. The type of music where, number one, you would not believe how they come to, to compose and even arrange you have a lead singer, you have three guitarists, and you have a drummer. No saxophone, no synthesizers. Synthesizers only come in the late 90s. But the type of music that is so raw and so, so, so bony but so complete, I always used to find such inspiration in that. And the other thing, heavy metal uh, personalities also influenced my outlook to life because they are very positive, brash, come what may, they are always going to be there. So, I guess the heavy metal was not just my musical ear, it was also the image, the crowds, the success story, and the starlights. Yeah,
0: what's the one song you remember that you used to love very much?
1: Yeah, yeah, and you have one of your
0: entire yes, your collection.
1: Out of the entire collection, I still believe Iron Maiden's Fear of the Dark yeah. is most probably the greatest of them all. I remember in 2016, Iron Maiden was in Johannesburg and I was one of those who were the first to buy the tickets. And when they played "The Fear of the Dark, I knew that I was found. Why Fear of the Dark? Because to be very honest with you, most of us, fear the dark because it's the unknown and it's in finding the unknown that we are discovered and the fear of the dark including my instruments and even the whole flow is towards that philosophy of find out what's in the dark because you might find your inspiration in the
0: dark yeah and you may find yourself you You know it leads me nicely into my next question what do you think your unique value proposition is what makes you memorable
1: and unique. What, what makes me unique is that I am very much in touch with my inner self. You are saying I stood out at university. It's because I was always in touch with my inner self. If you go back to the township where I grew up, you will discover that there are so many people that know me. And if you ask them why him, they will tell you that man was always in touch with his inner self in a way that he could speak truth to himself, because if you're in touch with your inner self, then you know exactly who you are. You can never lie or try to position yourself as somebody else. You are who you are, because you have discovered that inner guiding system that takes you to exactly who you are. And, and, And if you know who you are, then you always make choices without any pressure, because all of those choices are based on an understanding of who you are, what you can do, and what you want to do. I am very disciplined. As much as many people think that I've led a rock star lifestyle, a sense of discipline emanates from an understanding of exactly who I am and what I'm all about. I am also the first to take the initiative. How has it come to be like that? Because if you know who you are and you know exactly the direction you want to take, you are always going to be the first one to take this step towards that direction. So I'm very good with taking the initiative. Highly productive. Why would I call myself highly productive? Because for every opportunity that I get, I milk it dry so that whatever that it presents in terms of opportunities or further opportunities or doors opening up, By the time they open, I'm right there and fully prepared. And productive people will always give you that type of movement towards their personal growth. I'm also very effective. Why would I even call myself effective? You can't be a motivational speaker if you cannot choose that word that is going to strike a nerve. And that is effectiveness. I'm also efficient because I never go all out to do anything without producing a specified effect, and that is effectivity. I also believe that throughout my life, I've always wanted to make a difference. And I guess that is what, that is one philosophy or one trait that assisted me with my disability. Because if I had not been one that always wants to make a difference, I was going to accept my disability. And accepting means taking it as it is without any question movement but because i'm the type of a person that always wants to make a difference i embraced it and to embrace means taking whatever that comes and utilizing it such that it points towards you as a beneficiary
0: interesting because you know when you did have the accident as much as we were sad we actually we didn't feel sorry for you because we knew you will survive i mean it, it, you, you get what I'm saying. There are some of us who will like, like, fall apart with you. It's like he'll find his way, and which is why we still have the relationship we have. Which I'm still hard on you, you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm trying to answer you, Dudu, in a way that is also going to make you appreciate how far your questions are taking me. When you say you did not cry for me, I know why. It's because you knew that's the one that had been paralyzed then was a person that was very much in touch with his inner self. So the first question that you ask me actually answers where you are going right now. You don't cry for people that know exactly who, who, who they are, especially people who are in touch with their inner system. Because a person who is in touch with their inner system quickly understands that it's the body that has been wrecked, but not the soul. Yeah. And if you can understand that it's the body that has been wrecked, then the first thing that you do is you guide against the soul, collapsing. And if the soul can still be maintained, whether the body is wrecked, and I'm now imaging in a wheelchair, I still am me.
0: Mm-hmm. Very much. I
1: mm-hmm. still take the initiative, still effective, productive, efficient, and I can still make a difference.
0: Yeah. I hope that message really drives home because this is part of why we're having this conversation. So my next question to you is, in the context of everything you've gone through, what is the most courageous decision you've ever taken as a person?
1: The most courageous decision, and there are many that I've taken, was to embrace my disability. Because if I had not embraced my disability, Toto, then you're... In, in telling me about my university days, I am, uh, if, I, if I had not embraced the disability, I was going to find myself scratching my head and thinking, whoa, did something like that ever happen? Did we ever have such encounters? People that do not embrace Dodo have absolutely no sense of continuity. They cannot even lean back on their past to make sense out of their changes. I'm a social scientist. Whether I'm in a wheelchair or not, I can still go back to university, either lecture, or assist the university with research and development of knowledge. Now, a person that does not embrace quickly forgets all about that. They go home and they sit and say, well, I'm disabled now. What can I do? There is so much that you can do, but it begins with embracing what has happened. Then you can always even go back to the past and say, how much of me and of life did I get to learn in my past, which I can now use to progress to the future?
0: Yeah, That's an interesting perspective.
1: The first thing that happens three years after my paralysis, the Department of Transport is looking for a director of road safety. If I had not embraced my disability or if I had not embraced it by then, I was not going to be employed as the first director of road safety in Wazuluna, Natal in South Africa. But I went into that meeting understanding fully that even this wheelchair was part of my qualification. Yeah. No other person can ever tell you better about an experience than one who has experienced or who has tasted experience firsthand. So don't sit with me in a hope because there was 10 of us. Don't sit with me in a hope that uh, we are going to be going into this interview room and we're going to be measured on qualification. Truth is I do have qualifications but I have even much more of an added qualification now of experience Mm. and that comes with the beauty of embracing ourselves. Yeah.
0: And I remember you authored your first book, which was called Language of Me in 2004. You've now authored four books. I don't know where you're rushing to. Honestly, I haven't even done my first one, but hey, let's not go there.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. Amazingly, even before my, my, my accident or my paralysis, I was always rushed. People will tell you that you were with me, MLAZI, and NASA University, the man was always running. There was always this feeling. Like, things have to be done now because there might just not be a tomorrow, or tomorrow is going to come with its own stories. So I've written all of those books, still pushed by this feeling, like if the story is there, makes sense to you and can make sense to another, then it has to be written and published as soon as possible. But as soon as possible with me is not like what these uh, young uh, authors are doing these days of wanting to write a book every year. Mine only comes something like four years after the last one. Why? Because a book becomes your record. And you can't change that record. As much as I'm always rushed, and I'm very productive, and I always pour out, I always make it a point that quality is still maintained. And with books, they are for now. And all of them have always been given quality time to develop quality time to distribute, because that's the other thing that one day you and I will have to talk about. The wisdom of knowing the book process. I find it very difficult when people talk to me about books, and I find that they are still trapped at the level of writing it and then publishing it. There is much more to it than that. And the reason why people will have these books coming out every year. It's because they only just touch on those two aspects of developing the book and then publishing it. There is also the promotional toll. After you have written this book, do you really believe that people are going to access it by going to a CNA or an exclusive books? I don't think so. People are already gathered. They are gathered in schools. They are gathered in churches. They are gathered in organizations. They are uh, uh, gathered in industry. If you really are serious about a message that you have cooked, to dish it out to people and have it meaningfully, then you need or you ought to go on a promotional tour to make it a point that where people are organized, you talk the message and they access the book. So this yeah. four-year period that I always give to my books is all of that and
0: more. Yeah. What are you writing on now before we close?
1: I've been drawing for 40 years. I started drawing in 1979 and I'm celebrating that right now. Fortunately for me, it's coinciding with my 25th anniversary in the wheelchair. So my next book that is going to be coming out is I am at the 40th anniversary, Essay," And that is a bomb.
0: Well, thank you because I got a number of your works and um, I got a blessing during this lockdown. I got a call from Paul Etape, who was thanking me for introducing me to you and the friendship that has ensued because I had commissioned you to do the artwork for Institute of People Management.
1: For the first time, I've actually written about you in my latest book,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that was just nice um, that, you know, she, she, the friendship has gone beyond just your artwork to, to life beyond, that is nice. But we need to close up because we can talk forever, as you know if this was the last conversation that was recorded of you, what wisdom do you want to leave us with?
1: To think. To think before you speak. To Mm -hmm. think before you you move. To think before you share. To even think before you say no. Yeah. You know, to. There's so much that has happened and I think the best that I ever did was to think before I even respond. People should do that because then you 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 come out honestly. You are authentic and you mean it. I can't just vault into an answer and say something like be positive at all times or Wake up in the morning with action and I can. It's not authentic. Sometimes a question should catch you off guard so that you answer it as honestly as you can to think. The basis of wisdom is thinking before you even act or action anything, including a response.
0: Wow, my friend, I'm very happy we're having this conversation. Thank you for blessing us with your time and the privilege of your wisdom. Thank
1: and, you, thank you very much. Ma. I couldn't have been this a better person. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy I had this conversation and that you came along with me. This has been another episode of wisdom personified. Conversations with Dr. Somi. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified. Conversations with Dudum Somi. Please also like, follow, and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple, and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.